Society. Uh, we're very close to the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration and therefore at somewhat last minute um, we changed the topic so as to be able to uh, discuss the Balfour Declaration and the, the title of the meeting is Zionism, the racist and anti-Semitic policy of imperialism with reference to the centenary of the Balfour Declaration uh, which uh, Hopal is already and willing to speak to us about. And uh, with no further ado, I introduce Apal Braff to make this presentation. Thank you, Comrade Chairperson. Um, welcome to this, this meeting. Initially, it was meant to be celebration of October Revolution, but we had a very big and very successful meeting celebrating that, and um, we thought the centenary of this dread, dreadful um, Balfour Declaration should not go uncommented, and that's why the program was changed, not because we think it's more important than the October Revolution, but because it needs to be commented upon when there is a hysteria created by imperialism as though it is something to celebrate. It is not something to celebrate, neither for the Jews nor for non-Jews. It's an occasion to moan rather than cel cel celebrate. Um, with Balfour Declaration, the best thing is to really um, start by uttering the 140 words that constitute the Balfour Declaration. It was a um, declaration made by uh, Arthur Balfour, who was then Foreign Secretary, although he'd earlier been Prime Minister of this country, and he was um, in, in Lloyd George's cabinet, and this is what it said. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. Now, this is what the declaration said. I'd comment upon it later on as well, but there's a second part of this declaration that nothing shall be done which would in any way... Um, uh, prejudice the civil and religious rights of non-Jewish communities existing in Palestine, which means the Palestinians or Palestinian Christ Christians, Christians if, if you like. That is the part of the declaration that has been honored in breach ra 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 rather than ob obser observance. Um, but you will also see that whereas the, the Balfour Declaration is promising uh, the British government's best endeavors to fulfill this object of, of uh, set, setting up a, na um, a national home for the, for the Jewish people. 
It doesn't refer to the Palestinians by name, nor does it refer to their sovereignty over the land. But it was really done in very vague terms. And you would see that it's not directly sent to the Zionist establishment. It's sent to Lord, Lord Rothschild, in this case, Walter Rothschild, who lived at the time in 148 Piccadilly. And the letter said, would you be kind enough to pass it to your organization. And somebody even actually writing in the special supplement of the Jewish Chronicle says, couldn't the Foreign Office find a clerk who could act as a postman to deliver it directly to the, to the, to the, to the Zionist Federation rather than pass it to Lord Rothschild, who was really, although his Zionist narrative is that he was always a great admirer of, of uh, Zionism, etc. He had he, just been recruited. like. Most rich bourgeois are recruited to various things, you know, because you, you want the kudos that a very rich person is on, 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 on your side, you'd find in, in all, all nationalist, nationalist movements. So it, there, were, there were two reasons for it. There were no Jews who were takers of this particular um, uh, uh, commitment to establishing a Jewish home in Palestine. The Zionist movement from its very inception right up to the Balfour Declaration has been a non-Jewish movement. It's an imperialist construct, and I shall talk about it uh, br briefly later on, and it's, of course, a very racist uh, con con construct. And most well-known Jews in this country were opposed to the Balfour Declaration. They knew in advance some, something was afoot, because this creepy character called Kaim Weizmann, who's portrayed as a very sort of wise and sagacious statesman, you know, he was about the most creepy person, even among the Zionists, that, 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 that you, you, could, you could find. He was the one who had been pushing for, for the declaration. And knowing in advance this was going to be issued, both the, the chairman as well as the deputy chairman of the board of deputies of the British Jews oppo opposed it. So much so that having got wind that this declaration was going to be issued, they went to the Times and published their statement. It was an anti-Zionist manifesto. And um, so that was one reason that it couldn't really be publicized very much. Secondly, of course, although it's in the middle of the war and although it's probably likely that Turkey and Germany will be defeated, it wasn't for certain in November 1917 that, that Germany and Turkey will, will, will surrender. They did, and Turkey did surrender shortly afterwards. But the basic thing is, Palestine was part of the Turkish Empire. It wasn't up to Britain to dispense with, 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 with Palestine. If anybody had any legal rights over it, apart from the Palestinians, it was the Turks. And, 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 and not the British. Secondly, of course, was, was the fact that the British were making contradictory promises. Just as they're promising the Zionists that they will help them establish a Jewish national home in Palestine, at the same time, a, a secret treaty is being signed um, a few months earlier between Tsarist Russia, France, and Britain to carve up the Middle East after the war, which goes completely contrary to the promises made by the British High Commissioner in, in, in um, uh, Egypt, Makman, to the Sharif of Mecca, Hussein, that if they revolted, if they encouraged the Arabs to revolt against the Turkish uh, rule, then at the end of the war, there would be not several uh, uh, Arabian states, but one Arabian state 
uh, uh, headed by him. Of course, this was another promise which, which wasn't honored. And the Versailles Conference didn't give anything like that. The, the, the British did, uh, carved up the empire along, along, along with the French, because by that time, Russia was out, out of the game, thanks to the Bolshevik Revolution on, seven, uh, on, 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 on November the 7th, nine, 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 1917. Um, the idea was so pop, un, unpopular uh, in, 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 in Britain that the Secretary of State for India, uh, Montague, who happened to be the only Jewish member, me, Jewish member of, 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 the, of, the, of the of the of the of the cabinet, actually wrote a memorandum. It's one of the most unusual memorandums ever written by a cabinet minister to his cabinet colleagues, and it was headed "Anti-Semitism of the Present-day British Government." And he said, "I don't want to say that just because you lot entertain anti-Semitic ideas, you are bad people." Because perfectly reasonable and rational people entertain these ideas. Because, you know, anti-Semitism has now been con conflated with anti-Judaism. The problem in Europe was not anti-Semitism. It's a term which is brought in by imperialism, basically, and then picked up by the Zionists. The problem that the, uh, that the Europeans had was with Judaism. There was a Judophilia, you know, so somehow the, the medieval thinking that Jews had been responsible for the killing of Christ, another Jew, I, uh, but but... So there was a prejudice against the Jews, but it wasn't on the basis of any race uh, 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 affiliation. So he uh, even actually is a fantastic statement. I mean, we are very shortly going to, my party is going to publish a pamphlet on, on, on Zionism. You'd be able to get all the details. It's not possible for me in a short, uh, brief uh, conversation with you t today to give you every detail. I'll just simply hint at it. And he even says that the, the people who are Zionists and want to establish a home in Palestine, they are the enemies of the Jewish people because they're trying to disenfranchise every Jew who is living in France or Britain or wherever it is. They are a religion. They are not a nation. The Jews are not a nation. And he even said that he would be inclined to proscri proscribe all Zionist organizations. He basically regarded them as, as mad. Uh, he couldn't do much because he, uh, uh, well, two things. The, de the declaration had already been decided and Lloyd George was a big supporter of, 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 of this enterprise. Because jo Lloyd George uh, was obviously an imperialism, imperialist to his fingertips. So he understood the, imp the importance of having a Jewish state in the Middle East, because that could only act as a pawn for British imperialism. Of course, it's a joke that history has played. Britain actually sowed this harvest, but the people who actually reaped it are the American imperialists because of the changed world situation after, 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 this, after, after the Second World War. So Montague was very much opposed to it. The Board of Deputies was opposed to it. And at the time the declaration was issued, there was a population of between 200,000 or 250,000 of Jewish origin in this country. Mm. And only 5,000 of them were members of any Zionist organization. You know, and of course, they didn't require any activist to be a member of it. You just enrolled it. You took with a copy and said, would you give 10 shillings and become a member? And you became a member because some friend has come to you to ask you to become a member. And 
when meetings were held in East London, which was one of the areas of concentration of, 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 of Jewish immigrants, their main concern was not Zionism and the state in Palestine. Their main concern was to actually fight against the threatened deportation of Jewish immigrants from this country back to Eastern Europe, where, where, they, where they had come from. And they were going to be expelled under the Aliens Act in, of 1905, which had been pushed through and, 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 and piloted in Parliament by none other than Balfour. And his reasons were, you know what evils come from when a large population of immigrants comes, which is of Jewish origin. You know, he was as much of an anti-Semite as the next door person you could find, as indeed was Lord Shaftesbury 60, 70 years earlier, who voted against the emancipation of the Jew, Jews, Jewish legislature in this country. So you will see throughout history that anti-Semitism can actually sit very easily next to Zionism. They are friends of each other, they are not enemies, and they, they can be anti-Semites and yet they can support, support Zionism. In fact, it helps you to be an anti-Semite to support, support Zionism. No rational Jew at that time, right up to, right up to the 30s, actually was in favor of Zionism. And uh, I, 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 I come, come to this, this, this point later. Even in the British press, this de declaration, um, Balfour Declaration, was received very, very unenthusiastically. You know, there were little notes in the Times and, 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 and elsewhere. But the <coughs> one newspaper that was very effusive about it was the Manchester Guardian. And it hasn't much changed. The Liberal Guardian is one of the most fervent supporters of uh, Zionism and an opponent, and deadly opponent, of the rights of Palestinian people, especially through their trade. They pay lip service to the two-state solution, but actually they propagate everything that is anti-Palestinian through various creeps, to use the expression of Norman Finkelstein, like Jonathan Friedland and whatnot, who writes for the, for the Guardian. This is what uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the Guardian had to say, and it was at the time edited by somebody very famous called C.P. Scott. And he called the declaration in an editorial at once the fulfillment of an aspiration. I don't know whose aspiration he's talking about. The Jewish people did not aspire to that. that. They wanted emancipation in the countries where they were living, where they were fighting for civil rights, and they happened, large numbers of them happened to be in democratic, socialist, or communist movements because they understood very well the only way to fight for the rights of the Jews was for the working class to be united and not actually some ghetto be it in Palestine or wherever else it might be. At once, the fulfillment of an aspiration, the signposts of a destiny, never since the days of the dispersion has the extraordinary people scattered over the earth in every country of modern Europe and of the old Arabic civilization surrendered the hope of an ultimate return to the historic seat of its national existence. This has formed part of its ideal life and is ever recurring note of the religious ritual. That's what the Guardian had, had, had to say on the subject. The Jewish people certainly did not aspire to go to Palestine. And, um, you know, if some of them went, it is, again, one of the cruel jo 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 jokes of history. And nothing good in the end will come out of it. I put it to you on the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration that the, the, this, this imperialist contract has no future. 
it is not a state that will last. Now, nobody will believe me, and when they hear me say that, they think they've obviously gone mad. How can you say the powerful Israeli state will disappear? Much more powerful states have disappeared if the basis on which they are formed is built on sand, which is really, in this case, literally and figuratively, the case, case in, 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 in the Zionist state. Now, there are celebrations going on everywhere. And I took the opportunity of buying the supplement of the Jewish Chronicle. When I lived in that area, I used to buy it every week because, if, you know, uh, its editorials are nauseating. But if you want to know something about the Middle East, some of the things are detailed there, and it's a very informative magazine. And it's been concentrating on the Middle East ever since the beginning of the 19, 19, 19, uh, no, 20th century. So it's, it's, it's been there for a very long time. An advertisement was took in it by uh, somebody called uh, Simon Johnson, chief executive of the Jewish Leadership Council. And he says in that, that advertisement, the government has resisted disgraceful calls for an apology and has clearly stated from the prime minister and other ministers and officials that the government will mark the Balfour Declaration cent uh, uh, centenary with pride. The landmark dinner hosted by Lord Rothschild not the similar one, not the same one who received the declaration, but his, 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 his great nephew, the present one, Jacob Rothschild. Um, hosted by Lord Rothschild and Lord Balfour, was attended by the prime ministers and key ministers from both the UK and Israel. 100 years ago, Zionist statesmen and British ministers worked together to pave the way for a Jewish home in the land of Israel. In 2017, let us be proud that it was our government which took the first step to recognize the heritage of the Jewish people and which continues today to protect our connection with the land of, of Israel. One thing that uh, is about it is that we celebrate with pride. No, I think it's a shameful thing that our country did that because it's the source of the conflict in the Middle East, it's the source of the misery of the Palestinian people, which is completely ignored while celebrating um, the, 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 the temporary victory of Zionism. But what is true is no other country has done so much to actually construct and further and promote Zionism than, than, than the ruling class of this country. For this, it needs to be condemned, it needs to be singled out. They were not the only ones who wanted to use the Jewish construct for their own purposes, but they were more successful than any other. As I said, the cruel joke of history, they did not live to reap the benefits of it except as junior partners of, of US, US imperialism. There have been celebrations and seminars held in schools, university camp campuses, even Simon Sharma, uh, the, 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 the famous historian and writer um, uh, gave, gave a centenary lecture which was streamed over the te television to sev several cities from London to Manchester and everywhere. And uh, um, his, his uh, Lord Rothschild's great nephew, the present Lord Rothschild, J Jacob Rothschild, he actually writing in the, in the Jewish Chronicle said that uh, the Balfour Declaration had been the Magna Carta of Jewish liberties. Now, he must be out of his mind. It's not a Magna Carta of Jewish liberties. It is indeed a Magna Carta of which any sane Jew would be, would be ashamed. And at the time of the issuing of the Declaration, and right up to then, 
over, overwhelming, massively overwhelming majority of the Jews were sane Jews, you know, and they, they understood what, what, the, what, the, what the whole thing was about. And they, at every single state they'd said, no, their country is where they live. They belong to that country. Their nationality, if they are British, is British nationality. If they are French, their nationality is French. The, the people who were really discriminated against as Jews much more in the, in the, in, in, in the, uh, at the end of the 19th and, and, and beginning of 20th century was in Eastern Europe and Russia. And there, there were powerful socialist movements which actually fought for the rights of Jews, in, in Russia especially, the Bolsheviks, you know, who in the Duma, whenever they had two or three deputies um, that the Tsar allowed, they put forward legislation for the emancipation of the Jews and, and for abolition of all the laws that humiliated and repressed repress the Jews, as indeed other, other nationalities. They, the, the Balfour Declaration, as we were approaching it, was obviously the occasion for a tremendous amount of criticism of Israel because of the wars Israel is all the time waging, especially the three wars that it waged against Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And the last war made the Israelis very, very unpopular indeed. And there's a tremendous movement, even in Western Europe, <clears throat> where the Zionists have, are now losing their hegemony of people actually supporting them. Most West Europeans, not just Greece, not just one or two places, but even in other countries, people are opposed to the Zionists, and they're getting bad press. And particularly after they had killed over 2,000 people, quarter of them children, destroyed hundreds and hundreds of homes in Gaza. While actually the Israeli population shamefully has been brought to such a nationalist pitch, people were sitting on high ground in Israel and actually enjoying and holding parties while, while Palestinian children were being killed in Gaza. It was an occasion for very bad press elsewhere in the world. And because it took place, the Zionists and their imperialist backers have launched a veritable campaign to delegitimize any activism which demands the right of the Palestinian people, which defends the rights of the Palestinian people. Various people have, have been targeted, people you wouldn't suspect of being, 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 being anti-Semites. Ken Livingston. Ken Livingston has been accused of being, being an anti-Semite. Now, whatever you might say or not say about Ken Livingston, he's not an anti-Semite. Labour Party is such a weak, useless organisation. Actually, it launched an inquiry whether Ken Livingston was, uh, was an anti-Semite. You might as well launch an inquiry into me, whether I'm anti-Hindu, anti-Sikh, anti-this and the other. It's just ridiculous. And they suspended him from the membership of the party. It has much to do with the internal wranglings within the Labour Party rather than anti-Semitism. And the various newspapers have been carrying on a propaganda, headlines. The left has a problem with anti-Semitism. Of course, to them, the left is the Labour Party. Not, you know, it's not us. We don't even get, come within their, within their, with their radar. They, they, Sadiq Khan, this creep, when he was fighting for being the mayor of London, actually accused the Labour Party of having an anti-Semitic problem because he understands one thing. There's a Zionist propagandist from the creepy Jonathan Friedland to many others are very important. 
He wanted to win, win in, in, in London, and therefore it's very good to have the Zionist establishment on, 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 on your side. He, he said Jeremy Corbyn had problems with anti-Semitism. This was headlined everywhere. Jeremy Corbyn has problems with, with anti-Semitism. Again, your views on Jeremy Corbyn may differ with mine, but the basic thing is you would not describe him as an anti-Semite. He's not an anti-Semite. Then there was a poor little woman of Pakistani origin, member of parliament from Bred for Bed Bradford West, the same seat that had at one time been held by, by George Galloway, Nas Shah. What had she done? She'd taken a picture of, 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 of the map of Palestine, uh, or Israel, call it whatever you will, superimposed it on a map of the United States and said, problem solved. <laughs> this was done three or four years ago, not recently. And she had only taken it from the website of Norman Finkelstein, who'd done it much earlier. Nobody bothered to say anything, because Norman Finkelstein, although anti-Zionist, he's a Jew. Very difficult to, to have a go at him. They have a go at him anyway, because he's a brilliant guy who's been denied proper tenure at a university for years, so he has to earn his living giving lectures to this college and that, that, that college, uh, 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 etc. And so they, 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 they hounded her. She was also suspended for a, for a, for, for, for a while. And, and this happens every time there is, um, when the Zionists are getting bad press, they initiate another campaign. There's anti-Semitism. And such an hysteria is caused that you might actually think um, that we are back in the 30s and the Hitlerites are in power and they're going after the Jews, right? Actually, when you look at the opinion polls, 7% of the British people entertain prejudice against the Jews. Compare that with a whopping 60% who are anti-Muslim. So if there, is a, if there is a hysteria, if there is a, some kind of a campaign going on, it's more against Muslims than, than it is against the Jews. In view of which, uh, Finkelstein says, is it not time for various well-intentioned creeps like Jonathan Friedland to actually um, shut up and retire? He says the anti-Semitism mongers not only invent anti-Semitism in places where there is, it has very little presence, they actually completely overlook the barely disguised fascism of the Israeli authorities. Now, it's Worth noting that our press and our statesmen, who are forever going on about you know people being anti-Semite, the Palestinians being anti-Semite, they completely ignore statements like this. This is Avigdor Lieberman. He was until recently the foreign minister uh, of Israel. He's now the defense minister. And what did he say? Whoever is with us should get everything. Those who are against us, there's nothing to be done. And this really, you think it's a jihadi from al-Nusra front. We need to pick up an ax and cut off his head. Otherwise, we won't survive. That's Avigdor Lieberman. And here's a picture of him, saying next to Hillary Clinton, which some of our left think should have been the president of the United States of America rather, rather than Trump. Well, it's for everybody to make their own choice, but, but, but the, 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 these, these are the connections. So what I'm really proposing to do is to say to you 
instead of being intimidated by the Zionists and their powerful imperialist backers, what we have to do is, while fighting against every kind of, even a trace of racism, be it against the Jews or non-Jews, you know, at the moment, it's not the Jews who are the butt of racism. As, as Norman Finkelstein says, Jews are prospering as never before today. And therefore, no need to worry about them. Worry about those who really are the, ta uh, the target of these, these, these ra ra racist campaigns. What we should do is actually expose what is behind it, i.e. Zionism, and what Zionism's ideology is, and what uh, imperialism found uh, uh, so useful to actually produce this construct, which they could use for their own purposes. And these are the only two points I would make. I'll give you as, much, as many details as I can within the short period of time, but I will ask you, please, to wait a few weeks before my party produces this pamphlet, and we don't make any living out of our publications. We'd like you to buy it so that you can spread, spread the word to, 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 to other, other people. Um, Zionism's uh, founder uh, is supposed to be Herzl, Theodor Herzl, a Hungarian Jew, who was not particularly religious, he even made the statement, religion is a fantasy which keeps people in its grip. He was not concerned with Palestine or the Hebrew language. He was somebody who was very pessimistic when the Dreyfus affair took place in France, where a Jewish officer had been charged with treason and wrongly and justly convicted. Actually, it led to an outrage and nearly the overthrow of a government in France because it had allowed that to take place. And as a result of the protests of the working class and liberal-minded people in France, eventually Dreyfus was released. Instead of coming to the correct conclusion that the only way to fight against uh, prejudice against the Jews was to unite with, with working people, he came to the conclusion that Jews and Gentiles could never live together. They were inherently incapable of living together. Now, this is something I've seen closer to home. I've seen a lot of uh, Afro-Caribbeans, some American blacks, and a very, very few Indians, very few, but there are some, who say whites are inherently racist and imperialist. There's no living with them. It's not possible to persuade them. And most of these people actually live not in the Caribbean, not in India, not in the, uh, they live here. Well, if that is the case, if I actually believe that, I take a one-way ticket to, and, and I go to the Caribbean or India, wherever I, I came from, right? And very many of them happen to be either a white father or a mother. I don't know what this mix produces, but it certainly has, has, has that most weird, weird, weird effect on people. But once you begin to believe that white racism is inherent, inherent right, you cannot condemn it. There's nothing the white person can do. He's born white. He's inherently racist. What can you do? If a Gentile is born an anti-Jew and he can do nothing about it, no point blaming. All you then say is, we are foreigners. We, at least the Zionists took one conclusion from that, which was logical. We are the problem. The problem is not anti-Semitism. We are foreign. We are living here. We should not be. We should have our own, own state. The problem is not anti-Semitism, we are the problem, and this is a statement made by prominent Zionists throughout this, 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 this period uh, after Herzl had um, 
presented his, um, his thesis. He wrote a little pamphlet. It's quite incoherent and a mumbo-jumbo. It's not a great work of art or even good writing. It's called Judenstaat, the Jewish state. And uh, he, this is an idea of a separate uh, state on a completely different way, which had been already flagged up by a couple of Russians, notably somebody called Pins Pinsker, right? So Herzl was doing nothing special. Herzl's main contribution was two things. One, he established the World Zionist Organization, which held its first congress in 1897 in the city of Baal, or, the, or as they call it, Basel in, in, in Switzerland, and founded the World Zionist Organization. And secondly, he realized that they could not have a Jewish state. And he, actually his preferred option was somewhere in Latin America. He didn't want... In, in the end, two British um, uh, officers, um, uh, uh, ministers of the government, offered them what is known as the Uganda offer, that they could go to East Africa. It didn't work out, right? In the end, the British government settled for Palestine, and it settled for Palestine because Palestine has, ever since the Crusades, been at the center of a very important trade route. And control for Palestine had very little to do with Almighty, had very little to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with trade, trade routes. He who controlled Palestine controlled basically the trade going from the west to the east via um, Suez. Before the building of the Suez Canal, they used to have really have, had to simply unload the stuff, take it by boat to the other, other end and take it. That is, if you didn't want to take, take the Cape route uh, around, around, around South Africa. And so he realized that he could not attain his, his, his objectives unless he had the support of a powerful imperial state. And with a view to that, he did everything possible. He met the Turkish Sultan. He met the Tsarist ministers, including uh, Vyacheslav von Plebe, who had been the notorious organizer of anti-Jewish pogroms. He met the British, state, British statesmen. He met the German Kaiser Wilhelm II. He met everybody. And wherever he went, he had a narrative which would be pleasing to the ears of the, of the autocrat that he was speaking, speaking to. So this is what uh, uh, Avi Shalem, in his book, The Iron Wall, says about, about, about what Husserl used to say to these people. He presented his project in a manner best calculated to appeal to his listener. To the sultan, he promised Jewish capital, because the Turkish state was bankrupt. And he said, we will wipe out your national debt. We'll find the money for you. Don't worry about it. To the Kaiser, he undertook the Jewish territory would be an outpost of Berlin. To Chamberlain, the British colonial secretary, he held out the prospect of the Jewish territory becoming a colony of, of the British. So a colony of Berlin, colony of London at the, at, the, at the same time. So he was willing to say whatever was, 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 was need, 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 needed of it. And to be said to a, to a particular one. And then, of course, along with that, the part of his narrative was, by supporting the Jewish state, you're getting rid of two problems. One, we Jews produce some people who are very successful in finance. And they make a lot of money. And they become, therefore, the target of jealousy. 
and hatred on the part of Gentiles because we're doing so well in money. At the same time, we produce a huge number of intellectuals who cannot find any useful work, therefore they join socialist and communist movements. By having a Jewish state which took the Jews away, not only will the Jews be disappearing from your territory, you'll be getting rid of two problems, the golden Jewish capitalists and the red Jewish communists. Now, that is a line produced initially by the Zionists, which was taken up by, by the Nazis, whereby the Jews could be stereotyped as being big capitalists as well as communists, communists, communists at, 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 at the same time. And on top of that, of course, there was a bit of racism, because Herschel then said, a state like this would be an outpost of civilization, of West, against barbarism, against the East. So that appealed those days to every imperialist. You know, we are the civilized, and everybody else that we're ruling over uh, is, is uncivilized, and we Jews shall represent the civilization. You can trust us. You can't trust the Palestinians. You can't, they didn't even talk about Palestine. You can't trust the Arabs. And there's the emerging world, you know, as, as, as the Turkish Empire is rotting, as it's collapsing, it's clear that somebody else will come. So prevent the Arabs from taking their own destiny into their hands, something had to be done. Or as, as a British official put it, we want to create a little Ulster in the, in, in, in the Middle East. Well, you know the role Ulster has played in the, in the, in the history of United Kingdom and in the history of Ireland. And so, as far as Churchill was concerned, he understood Zionism had to be supported. Writing in a, in a British newspaper uh, in February 1920, he said that the struggle that was unfolding was between the Zionist and Bolshevik Jews, and this was little less than a struggle for the soul of the Jewish people. You can see which side he will support, not the Bolshevik Jew, but the, Zion, but the Zionist Jew. He lost it, because what was happening at that time when the uh, Russian Revolution took place, you really need to lead it because there's such a fast-moving kaleidoscope taking place. You know, one day the territory is ruled by the Bolsheviks, another day it's ruled by reactionaries, and then the Bol Red Army comes back. In the end, the Red Army overwhelmed every, everybody else. But, you know, for a short period of time, whether it's two or three months, there was a reactionary government set up in, 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 in Kiev. There was the Rada uh, under, under Petliura. And the Zionists, of course, sided with Petlura, who had recruited to his party people on the basis of no Russians, no Poles, no Jews. But they were happy to side with him because he was a reactionary. You know, he was supported by imperialism. And it was understood by the Zionist leadership that they had to be on the best of terms with imperialism and they mustn't say or do anything that, that, will, that will upset imperialism. Why they wanted to state, I said, these are, these are deranged people who somehow got into their bee that there was only one thing that they could do, have a Jewish state. And then they construct a narrative, which is constructed for them by imperialism, that these are the original Jews who were dispersed by the Romans after the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. And they are coming back to reconstitute their, their, their homeland. Now that is a topic into which I will not be able to go today. The Jews that survive today are not the, the, the descendants of the Jews who were in Palestine in 70 AD. Overwhelming of the majority of the Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews, are of Turkish origin, who were co converts from 
from being Turks to being Jews because Judaism was a proselytizing religion. Only now it doesn't proselytize, except in some cases where there are hilarious stories. They get somebody from uh, Latin America who is Juan Perez or something and suddenly becomes Moshe Abraham or something like that and is to be seen walking, slinging a gun on his shoulders, walking in the West Bank and saying, this is my homeland, God gave it to us. I don't want to fight against the Palestinians, but if they fight against me, I'll defend my homeland. And these are people who have been turned from being devout Catholics into uh, Jews at fast speed with the permission, special permission of the chief rabbi, rabbi of, of Israel. So when it suits them, they're quite happy. I was sitting one day with a Palestinian representative in this country. He is now replaced by somebody else. I said, comrade, there's an easy way. Become Jews. And you have, he said, they'll accept any Jew except a Palestinian Jew. They, they, will, they, 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 they will not have them. And so, uh, church, that, that, that's what Churchill did. And when the Versailles Conference, you see, Zionism didn't get any traction until after the First World War. And when Jerusalem fell to the British and Lord Allenby's forces marched into Jerusalem. It became, of course, a territory controlled by the British, but still the British didn't own it. They had somehow to secure a mandate for it. And the idea like the duplicity of the English ruling classes, that which they desire most, they'll pretend not to want. So they didn't say that we want Palestine and we want to be the mandatories for it. They so positioned themselves that when the time came to decide who should be the mandatory, of course the obvious choice would be Britain. Who else will discharge this very onerous and difficult duty? So when the Versailles Conference took place in February 1919, Chaim Weizmann, later on to become the first president of Israel, he was a Russian emigrate Jew who lived in Manchester, and he was a good scientist, he was a chemist. His chief interest was in textiles, but it was wartime, so he devoted himself to de developing certain munitions, etc., for which the British government were very, very, uh, very grateful. But he was, as I said earlier, and I can never repeat too often, was one of the creepiest creatures that you could find. You wouldn't want to be sitting next to him at, at, at dinner, just because of the creepiness of the, of the, of the person condemned. Um, he, he, he appears at the Versailles Conference demanding that there be a home, homeland for the Jews in Palestine. And at that conference, he says, anti-Semitism is not the problem. We are the problems. And we are only a problem because we lost our own homeland. We don't get respect anywhere, wherever we live, because we don't have a homeland. Everybody else, uh, everybody has got, got a homeland, and we must, must, must get, get, get the, home, the, 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 the homeland for, for, for ourselves. And the... And the Zionist theory, and this is really the basis for their collaboration subsequently with the Nazis, it is like the Nazis based on Blut and Bowden, i.e. people have to be of the same blood to get on with each other. You have got to be part of the folk, like the German Nazis believed, and it's there for everybody to see from 1926 onwards. In German, it's clearly stated what they, what they believed in. So nobody can say, the Zionists cannot say, we were deceived by Hitler. Hitler never tried to, tried to deceive. You know, whatever he did, his <coughs> racist policies were there for, for any, anybody to see who had um, ability to read German and subsequently other, other, other language. And you 
had to have your own burden. You had to have your own abode. You had to have your own house. And according to this theory, Jews did not have a home. They were of a different blood, blood than the Germans. They should therefore not actually mix uh, sexually with, with, with the Germans for the sake of their own, own unique, unique blood. And not being of the Teutonic blood, they perforce had to have their own home, and that was, of course, to be um, Palestine. I mean, this is a stupid philosophy. How somebody as highly intelligent and as eminent a scientist as Einstein would fall for it, it's unbelievable. I just want to read this quotation from Einstein for the curiosity of it. It just shows that when eminent scientists make a foray into fields of which they know nothing, they make fools of themselves. And this is what Einstein uh, uh, wrote. I got this quotation from Lenny Brenner's book. I recommend everybody to read Lenny Brenner's book, The uh, Zionism in the Age of Dic Dic Dictators. He's an American Jew. I, he might still be alive. And when I look at his pictures, we'll show you in a minute, it looked like just our comrade um, Giles Shorter. <laughs> I thought he was Giles Shorter. This is, this, this, this is what Lenny, uh, um, uh, Einstein said. Nations with a racial difference appear to have instincts which work against their, against their fusion. The assimilation of the Jews to European nations could not eradicate the feeling of lack of kinship between them and those among whom they lived. In the last resort, the instinctive feeling of kinship is referable to, to the law of conservation of energy, whatever that means. For this reason, it cannot be eradicated by any amount of well-meant pressure. That's answer. I just wanted to read it to you, the, how uh, one, one can, under the wrong influence, even when one is an eminent scientist and a brilliant one, one can act fool, foolishly. And because they talked about blood, blood and bowden, they it brought them very close to the close, close to Nazi, Nazi ideology. There is something about you know, like I always say, it's much easier for me to say that because nobody can accuse me of being anti-black. This is something between anti and uh, uh, between racism of the whites and the black separatism of the blacks. You know, both believe it's not possible for us to mix. They both believe it's not possible for us to have a go because we are both inherently opposed to each other. If the whites are inherently racist, you can't really change them. You cannot actually have a, have a go at rep rapprochement. It's the same between Zionism and, 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 and pe pe people who are not Jew Jews. This is what Lenny Brenner has to uh, comment, and it's a very correct observation. Any Jewish movement that prattled about the naturalness of anti-Semitism would just as naturally seek to come to terms with Nazis when they came to power, you know, because, because their, their ideology um, is, 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 is very similar. Now, here's, here's another, um, I, I'm, I'm forced to resort to many quotations to, to actually uh, not to give you a very, very long narrative because the Zionists sum it up for you so wonderfully. There's no need for me to waste, um, waste what time. Um, th there is somebody who, who's authoritative, one of the co-authors of Encyclopedia Judaica. And this is what he wrote in the early 20s. If we do not admit the rightfulness of anti-Semitism, just listen to it. It could have come straight from the book of any anti-Semite. If we do not admit the rightfulness of anti-Semitism, we deny the rightfulness of our own nationalism. 
If our people is deserving and willing to live its own national life, then it is an alien body thrust into the nations among whom it lives, an alien body that it's insists on its own distinctive identity, reducing the domain of their life. It's right, therefore, that they should fight against us for their national identity. Germans are right to fight, sorry, in, 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 sorry, uh, for their national integrity. Their national integrity is compromised if Jew, Jews are living there. They're quite right to say, get out of here. Instead of establishing societies for defense against anti-Semites, we want to reduce our rights. You know, it's like mourners who have funeral processions saying many happy returns of the day. Instead of establishing societies for de defense against the anti-Semites, we want to reduce our rights. We should establish societies for the defense against our friends who desire to defend our rights. You know, because to them, the biggest enemy is not anti-Semitism, but assimilationism. You know, it, it, it was well known three decades or so for the Zionists to actually cut the head of a pig and throw it into or on the footsteps of a synagogue in, in America so as to cause anti-Gentile uh, 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 revulsion. Because so many Jewish men and women were marrying non-Jewish people. You see, once there is no discrimination, people don't, you know, you meet somebody and you, you fancy them or you like them, you don't say, what's your religion? And then you don't say, I like you very much, but now you're, you're Jewish, I really can't have anything to do with you. It doesn't take place in real life. It only takes place where there's violence, where there's separation, where there's ghettoization, where, where people will stick, you know, every peasant will sit on his own dung heap, you know, would not share any, anything with. This is the same mentality. Once there is assimilation, once there is acceptance of people, then you do not actually judge people on the basis of their color, on the basis of their race, on the basis of their nationality, on the base, ba basis of their, 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 their religion. And because they had this racist ideology, they got on very well with the anti-Semites, including, including the Hitlerites, till the Hitlerites started bumping them off, right? By which time it's a bit late to realize that it's really perhaps not a good idea to collaborate with the, with the Nazis. On 21st of June 1933, the Zionist Federation of Germany sent a memorandum to the Nazi party which was nothing short of treason against the Jews of Germany. In it, the German Zionists offered, quotation, calculated collaboration between Zionism and Nazism, hallowed by the goal of a Jewish state. And this is the sentence I'd like you to, 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 to remember. We shall wage no battle against thee, they're telling the Nazi regime, only against those who resist thee. And they'll, they'll tell you the Zionist narrative today is they fought against, against na Nazism. Actually, it gets worse. I mean, what I've told you is, the, is so to speak, the, the tip of the iceberg. They did, they did far worse things. And Lenny Brenner says, their ideology forced them to fight on the side of Nazis. It's not that the, that the Zionists were lacking in courage. They put all their courage to completely bad use, to, to fighting against assimilation, to fighting for a homeland in Palestine for the, for, 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 for the Jewish people. They sided with the Nazis because of their conviction. And this is Lenny Brenner again. The Zionists did not fight against Hitler's rise to power not out of any cowardice, but out of their deepest conviction, which they had inherited from Herschel, that anti-Semitism could not be fought. 
given their failure to resist during the Weimar Republic and given their race theories, it was inevitable that they will end up as the ideological jackals of Nazism. And that is Lenny Brenner, who is himself uh, a Jew, to be, but uh, proud to be a Jew, but not a Zionist. And what the Zionists are trying to do, and actually to a considerable extent they've succeeded, is to conflate Judaism and Zionism. So, you know, the moment you criticize Zionism, they say you're attacking, attacking Jews. And now there is a, ma there is a movement afoot that Israel should be included in the definition of, of anti-Semitism. Uh, uh, anti, uh, 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 anti if you criticize Israel, that means you are an anti-Semite. It used to be that if you criticize uh, Jews, you are an anti-Semite. Now, you cannot criticize Zionism, you cannot criticize the state of Israel. How can you oppose this monstrosity without criticizing the state of Israel? The moment you do that, you're called an anti-Semite. At one time, it shut up a lot of people. People were frightened of it. But they're not even well-known academics, like John Mearsheimer in, in America, who I think from his, new, his, his, his name is Jewish, but he may not be. I'm not really sure, but he's a very well-known academic. Somebody said to him, you know, there's a Jewish lobby. Would it not overwhelm you? He said, do you remember at one time there was a tobacco lobby in America? No senator, no congressman, no aspirant to the, to the White House would ever say anything against the tobacco lobby because they would not get the fund, they would not get elected, nothing. The same with the APAC. But today, if you stand up and you say smoking is good for you, you are out. There's no way you get elected. And the same will happen to Zionism because they overstep their mark. Because every time you open their mouth, you call you an anti-Semite. In the end, you say, yes, I'm an anti-Semite. Would you like to buzz off? Leave me alone. You know, and that's what people are beginning increasingly, in, in, increasingly to do that. And even people who were prominent writers. Have you heard of somebody called Lu Emil Ludwig? He interviewed Stalin once. He asked the question of was there anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union. Stalin said, no, we, we don't have such peculiar things in our, in our country. In fact, in fact, it's a crime to be an anti-Semite. And sometimes if people are found of that, we, we, we sentence, sentence, sentence them to death and carry out the death sentence. And this stupid man, brilliant as a, as a writer, goes to America and gives an interview because he was converted to Zionism and gives, give, 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 gives an interview. And this is what he says. It could have come from a, the, the sayings of Hitler. Hitler will be forgotten in a few years, but he will have a beautiful monument in Palestine. Adding that the coming of the Nazis was rather a welcome thing. So many of our German Jews were hovering between two coasts. So many of them were riding the treacherous current between Scylla of assimilation and the cribbages of a nodding acquaintance with Jewish things. Thousands who seemed to be completely lost to Judaism were brought back to the fold by Hitler, and for that I am personally very grateful to him. Now he said that in America, but then he found that the American Jews didn't like it very much. He changed his tune somewhat, but, but that, 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 that is what he Chaim Weizmann, okay, the first president of Israel, this is what he says. When he says, why don't you fight against, against, against the Nazis? No, he said, that's not the important thing. The only dignified 
and really effective reply to all that is being inflicted upon the Jews of Germany, says Weizmann, is the edifice erected by our great and beautiful work in the land of Israel. Something is being created that will transform the woe we all suffer into songs and legends for our grandchildren. Go to Israel, even if you are a Jew, and find if it's turned into songs and legends for their grandchildren. You are in a permanent state of war. You have a gun slung on your shoulders. You do not know. You're frightened of your own shadows. It reminds me, I had spent three weeks in South Africa, uh, six months before apartheid regime came to an end. And they treat me very well. I mean, there were only white lecturers in the college where I was teaching. Half the students were black, but lectures were only white. I was the only one visiting lecture, but they treated me with tremendous respect, I have to say that, because I was no threat to them. I wasn't claiming their land in Natal or somewhere. Or their next promotion. Or the next promotion. So they were driving their BMWs and Mercedes. You know, if, even if you're a college lecturer, you, you know, your white skin carried a premium. You could, you could afford these things. And they're sitting when the traffic lights are obviously red at the traffic lights. The windows are up, the doors are locked, and they've got a handgun to the ready. They're frightened of any black man approaching them at the traffic lights, and they don't know what happened. Because they had committed so many crimes against the majority black population, they were frightened of their own shadows. And it's exactly the same in Israel. If you're an Israeli, and sensible Israelis are speaking against that. Some have even been in the, uh, in, in the, in, in the defense forces. Some are ac academics, and they're increasingly... Some are well-known journalists, like Gideon Levy, who writes for the Haaretz, constantly get death threats for, for, for exposing what Zionists are doing, doing, doing the Palestinians. And at a time when there was a, you see, when the Nazis passed laws to boycott uh, Jewish businesses and professions, there was a threat that the Jews in America and in Britain particularly, would organize trade boycotts of German goods. And since Jews were quite prominent, they were not the only retailers, but quite prominent in retail trade in both Britain and America, especially America, there was a danger that Germany's exports would suffer. So Rabbi Weissman, Stephen Weissman in America was threatening, he did nothing in the end, he was all hot air of a boycott. <laughs> but the Zionists worked hard to prevent this boycott taking, taking place. And they were successful in that. And as a result of that, Sir Oswald Mosley's fascist movement's newspaper called The Black Shirt was delirious with joy when the Zionists succeeded in actually averting the boycott of German, German goods because Oswald Mosley was a fascist and therefore pro-Hitlerite. This is what, what his paper said. Can you beat that? We are cutting off our nose to spite our face and refused to trade with Germany in order to defend the poor Jews. The Jews themselves, in their own country, are to continue making profitable dealings with Germany themselves. Fascists can't better counter the malicious propaganda to destroy friendly relations with Germany than by using this fact. Because what had happened was, writes, Britain's immigrant, immigration policy in Palestine was that any Jew could come, provided he could bring within 1,000 pounds. You know, like, it's like certain visas you can get. You can come into this country if you've got half a million pounds to invest. Yeah. Well, you say you'll employ four people. And some immigrants have got a very good idea. One person comes, gets a visa, 
he makes the same money available to his relative, and another one comes, and so you know they get a fairly good bargain in 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 in, in, in the in the end. And I don't blame them because if this, these restrictions are unreasonably imposed, people will try and find a find a way out. So you could go there, and the and the Hitlerite said to rich and well-off Jews, middle-class Jews, you can go, you can take a part of your wealth, but not all of it, but you can only take it in the form of German goods which you will sell in Palestine and get your money. So they were really messed up at both ends. They didn't get all their wealth. They had to sell German goods, which was not obviously the, uh, to the liking of the, of, the, of the British ruling class, that German goods should, should, should be selling when they couldn't sell their own. Their own. So they, they, they brought that. And when they came to Palestine, they had to disgorge something like 30% to the Zionist agency before they could keep, keep the rest of it. And it developed into quite a large business. And um, so they, this is what actually was causing Mosley's black shirts to, to vociferate that against them. Because you know, if you find your opponents are doing something which they're asking you not to do, well, you would use that, wouldn't you? You know, because it's like saying, do what we tell you, but not what we do. And, and th th that, that, that's the relevance of it. And it's not because the Zionists wanted to help Germany or something. It is because they were simply reactionaries whose views coincided with, with, that, with that, of, that of German fascism. Lenny Brenner again, the Zionists chose to ignore the fact that in the end, the, the, the Hitlerites will come after them as a, not because they didn't know, they couldn't say they were deceived by Hitler, but because they simply were reactionaries who chose to emphasize the points of similarity between themselves and Hitler. They convinced themselves that they, because they too were racist against mixed marriage and believed that Jews were aliens in Germany because they too were opposed to the left, that these similarities would be enough to make Adolf Hitler see them as the only honest partners for a diplomatic detente. Well, that diplomatic detente, obviously, uh, in the end, had, 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 had to, come to come to an end. Britain had a problem with its, this Zionist contract. As I said earlier, and I repeat, it couldn't find many Jews who will take that. So Britain then, took the only, only, only course. It's like I used to laugh with, with Iris and Godfrey at one time. Well, we can't really get many communists, so we have to produce our own children who can become communists. <laughs> it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. I'm not asking anybody to identify. Um, so what they said was, we, we can't have Jews who take this. So let's adopt another tactic. And the tactic was, Ju Zionization nation of the Jews and Judaization of Zionism. Because, you know, up to then, up to the First World War, prominent Zionists were not Jews. They were non-Jews. They were Gentiles. So you had to turn the Jews into Zionists. You had to make an effort. 
and Zionism had to be made to appear as though it was almost synonymous with, with being a Jew, that it was your, 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 your duty to do it. And it became particularly important with steam becoming a source of navigation. Ships were sailing between Europe and Britain's important colonies in, and colonial possessions, and the whole of China was never a colony, but colonial possessions in China and India. And of course, they, they were going via Egypt as well. And you would remember, since 1882, uh, Britain having first bought shares through Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, you know, who can be credited with being a very far-seeing imperialist politician, uh, the Khadiva's shares in the canal, because the, the, the uh, Egyptian treasury went bankrupt, um, were bought by Britain. And Britain occupied Egypt, was supposed to occupy along with France. For some reason, the French government couldn't agree, so it was perfectly all right for Britain to do it on our own. So it was a very important area. And the ships that are running on steam needed frequent coaling. So Britain had various coaling stations dotted all over the place. It needed to make sure that it had control of Palestine and various areas around. At that time, you know, Palestine and Syria are almost one, one if you like, as indeed is Lebanon. So you need, need that. And it becomes very important to have presence of people who will be controlled by you. There were no Protestants in Palestine. There were Catholics. There were, there, there were Christians of Orthodox Jew, Jewish faith, you know, like you have in, 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 in Russia and, and, and Greece, or there were Jews. You know, Jews had, had, a, had a presence for a long, long time. They constitute less than 10% of the population, even less, um, and there. So Britain, short of exporting Protestants there, which was very difficult, had to adopt somebody as its child for whose protection for whose guardianship it would be responsible, and who but the Jews. So it became increasingly important for Britain to have its protégés there, and, and Jews, Jews were chosen for that reason, not for the, for, 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 for the, for the lo love of Jews, if you like. Um, the very well-known, I think he's a Mauritanian, uh, African academic by the name of Old May, uh, uh, O-U-L-D, M-E-Y, um, that's his, 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 his nom de guerre, uh, his actual name is something different. You'll see him in my booklet, I can't remember. He's written a wonderful number of articles on, 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 on this question. And he says, with the advent of steam navigation, dependent on frequent ports of call for recalling and completion of the Suez Canal, Zionism and the interests of world commerce began to link the establishment of depots and settlements along the route to India and China with the establishment of a Jewish state, state in Palestine. And then, of course, various propagandists on behalf of British imperialism went to work. Uh, and, they, and, and not all of them are Jews. A very well-known figure in this story, and I really can't give you the details about him, is somebody called Colonel Gawler, G-A-W-L-E-R. He'd been the governor of South Australia and had been responsible for settling there every month 180 convicts from Britain to settle Australia. So he had a jolly good experience in doing dirty work 
on behalf of the, of the British state. So he was jo jo chosen as somebody uh, who would propagate the idea of, of, a, of a Jewish state. And this is what he, what he wrote, divine providence, no less. You know, whenever we, Britain wants to do anything for money, it is by divine <laughs> providence. It is the intense desire of the Almighty that Britain should be do doing that. Divine providence has placed Syria and Egypt in the very gap, small gap indeed, in the very gap between England and the most important regions of her colonial and foreign trade, China, India. A foreign power would soon endanger British trade, and the Almighty wouldn't like that, would he? And it is now for England to set her hand to the renovation of Syria through the only people whose energies will be extensively and permanently in the work, the real children of the soil, the sons of Israel. You know, the real children of soil. I mean, it hadn't even occurred to the Jews that Palestine is theirs. You know? They are not Palestinian people. And so getting, by the time of the First World War, getting Palestine becomes particularly important. You know, it's the key to controlling the, controlling the Middle East. Mark Sykes of the notoriety of Sykes-Picot agreement that carved off the Middle East during the First, First World War in secret treaties, which, be it said to their credit, the Bolshevik government published within the very first days of, 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 of being, being, being formed. And Mark Sykes wrote to Lord Robert Cecil in the following terms. We should so order our policy that without in any way showing any desire to annex Palestine or to establish a protectorate over it. No, 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 God forbid. When the time comes to choose a mandatory power for its control by consensus of opinion and desire of its inhabitants, we shall be the most likely candidate. So Britain so maneuvers that it becomes the candidate and is given the mandate by not only the Versailles Peace Conference, but by the League of Nations, which was formulated shortly afterward, uh, as well as at the San Remo uh, uh, conference that took place after the Versailles. Now, I want to give you a quotation from Old May again. Although not all Jews are Zionists, not all Zionists are Jews. And, and Old May has traced a long history of, of Western construct of Zionism from the Reformation and Martin Luther right to the Balfour Declaration. And another person who's done a very good job on that is a woman a historian called Barbara Tuch, T-U-C-H. She's written a book called uh, Bible, and, Bible and Sword, and it really gives the interplay of European geopolitics, uh, which was responsible for um, the Balfour Declaration eventually. And he says, although not all Jews are Zionists, not all Zionists are Jews. During the Reformation, the mercantilist era, Protestants were interested in Jews as ammunition against Catholics and leaders of the interest-based rising capitalist sector. Martin Luther's Jewish-friendly writings in 1523, he wrote a book called Jesus Christ Was Born a Jew, you know, before he turned against the Jews later on, but first, you know, but it was a good instrument to use against the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church did not emphasize Palestine. It emphasized Rome and the Pope. And Martin Luther emphasized the Bible and, and Palestine basically as an instrument for fighting against, against the Catholic Church. Now at that time, I have to say in retrospect, nobody else has said it, it was progressive, right? But things 
change according to time. Oliver Cromwell's readmission of the Jews to in England in 1655 and the quasi-Judaization of the Puritans are graphic examples. With the Industrial Revolution and the European Enlightenment, Napoleon boosted the emancipation of the Jews in an attempt to strain them from their European and Ottoman rulers as part of his unsuccessful plans to destroy the power of England and Russia and dominate Europe. After Napoleon, the British articulated a complex set of imperialist and religious motives designed to make the Eastern question fit the Jewish question. Obviously, all this took place before the alleged founder of Zionism was born in 1860, as well as before anti-Semitism was encouraged as a propelling machine of Zionism. With the change of Zionism's guardianship and custody from Britain to the United States in the aftermath of the Second World War, Zionism continues to be a geopolitical configuration rather than a national reality, which facilitates Western uh, multinational hegemony over the Arab world's strategic location, cultural heritage, economic resources, and possible unification schemes. That's what Old, Olden May, May, May wrote. And, this, and, 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 the, and, and, and the Zionists, uh, having had that warped um, ideology, were obviously very much fitted to do it. They were insane people. They were a tiny minority of the, of the Jewish population. And this is one of the very f famous Zionists, leader of Mapai. Um, uh, uh, Mapai is the party that later on became the present Israeli Labour 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 Party. Uh, it was a party of Ben Gurion. You know, he's portrayed as a nice man, but a nasty little bugger he was. Um, and he actually expressed his regret as to what what the Jews had done in the in, in the process in a newspaper um, much later in the day. He said, "Our Zionist orientation educated us to see the growing land of Israel as the prime goal." and the Jewish nation only in relation to its building the land. With each tragedy befalling the Jews in the diaspora, they call them diaspora. Diaspora is when you've been expelled to somewhere else. The present-day Jews are not a diaspora. They live in various countries where they belong. Apart from the ones in Israel. Well, we, 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 we saw the state as the evident solution. We continued employing this principle even during the Holocaust, saving only those who could be brought to Israel. The mandate's limitation on immigration served as a political factor in our battle to open the doors to immigration and to establishing the state. Our programs were geared to this aim, and for this we were prepared to sacrifice or endanger lives. Everything outside of this goal, including the rescue of European Jewry for its own sake, was a secondary goal. If there can be no people, and, and this is somebody who responded to the Zionists, a, a rabbi called uh, Weissmendel, he said, if there can be no people without a country, yeah, there cannot be a country without people. And where do the Jewish people live? In Europe. So you're prepared to sacrifice them for the, for the, for, for the sake, sake of a country where there will be no people. And this is really, really what, what, what will, will eventually happen. And shamefully, Weissman, Chaim Weissman, speaking at a, at a World Jewish Congress in 1937, has this to say. The hopes of six million Jews at that time, that was the Jewish population probably, no, probably more, but anyway, they, they were in Europe. At the, uh, the hopes of six million Jews are centered on emigration. I was asked, but can you bring six million to Palestine? I replied, no. 
In the depth of the Jewish tragedy, I want to save two million Jews. The old ones will pass. They will bear their fate or they will not. They are dust, economic and moral dust in a cruel world. Only remnants shall survive. We have to accept it. That's what Kaim Weitzman is, is saying. I mean, their slogan, it was really epitomized in the slogan, one goat in Israel is more important than a whole community uh, which is not destined, which is not destined for Israel. To them, what mattered was the building of the state. And I haven't got the time because um, the cameraman will go on strike very shortly. So I'm going I'm, I'm to have to shut and leave many, many things out. In the end, that became the basis of collaboration between Eichmann and somebody called Dr. Rudolf Kastner, who spoke for the Hungarian Jews. In order to save something like 16 or 1700 prominence, he sacrificed nearly a million strong Jewish community in, 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 uh, Hungary. in Hungary. And they were transported to their deaths in gas chambers, and they were told by him and his officials that they were being taken to a holiday camp where they'll have a good time. If they had not been organized, if they had not had this Zionist leadership, they, many of them would have survived through various means, through bribing their neighbors, through genuinely people feeling bad that Jews were being badly treated, through fighting, etc. But what had happened was Eichmann and the Nazis did not want the repeat of the, of the, of the Warsaw Ghetto uprising where a lot of fighting had take, take, taken place, place earlier. They wanted the Jews quietly to go, go, go to their deaths. And Kestner, of course, facilitated that. We would probably not know the whole story had it not been because of the intra-Zionist fights with each other. Who should expose them? But the followers of somebody who are called the, uh, who is called the revisionist Jew, Jabotinsky, Vladimir Jabotinsky, a Russian Jew who was a devotee of Mussolini. Mussolini had provided him with training training camps camps for his school schools, etc. They exposed him because they were opposed to the Ben Gurion and Lot. And somebody published in 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 an Israeli newspaper that Kastner, had, who was then living in Israel, had collaborated with the Nazis and done to death nearly a million strong Jewish community in Hungary. Kastner had the temerity to sue the guy who had said that for defamation. And the judgment, the verdict of the Israeli district court for the district of Jerusalem is worth reading. It's a damning indictment uh, for, 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 for the Zionists. As soon as the judgment was declared, which actually cleared uh, the so-called defamer, defendant of all uh, um, defamation. Defam defam defamation. Within 24 hours, the Israeli Attorney General launched an appeal. You know, it takes a legal genius within 24 hours read a 300-page uh, uh, judgment and come to the conclusion that there are grounds for appeal. They did that. The Supreme Court reversed the verdict. Although they accepted the facts by the lower court, they reversed the judgment. It wasn't a case. 
that the defendant, Greenbaum was, I think his name, was guilty. It is just that the Israeli court, along with the Israeli establishment, had deserted to the side of defending Kastner. They had no choice but to defend him because Kastner was acting on the orders of and under the auspices of the Zionist agency in, 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 in Palestine, of which Ben-Gurion, the whole lot were part. Now, Kastner was murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Kastner was murdered. You would think he was murdered by some very angry Hungarian Jew who had survived his collaboration with the Nazis. No, he was murdered by somebody called Eckstein, who was an undercover paid agent of the Israeli government because he'd become a walking embarrassment for the Israeli authorities. Because as long as he's walking free, the Israeli population say the whole establishment is walking free because they, these people are behind what, 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 what he did. I think, if nothing else, I've brought to your notice the similarity between the views of Zionism and the views of Nazism. I brought to your notice that it was an imperialist construct born out of the rivalry between European, European powers, that the Balfour Declaration had nothing to do with the love of Jews, it was something as a means of con 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 controlling, controlling the Middle East. And we should refuse to be intimidated by Zionism. And the only lesson we can learn, both from the murder of the Jews by the Nazis, or for that matter, the much bigger Holocaust of two world wars which claimed the lives of over 50 million people and maimed and mutilated another 100 million, destroying vast amounts of wealth produced by society. The only thing to learn is that there's no struggle against racism, there is no struggle against this kind of activity except through the fight against imperialism and the working class of all nationalities, all colors, all religions, whatever their other distinction, should unite in the fight against imperialism. Thank you for listening. When you control the mail, you control information. <laughs>